Hello and welcome to The Scoop, a provincial newscast and podcast with stories from LJI journalists around British Columbia. Each week, reporters from Revelstoke, Cortez Island, Kootenai, Terrace, Prince George and Smithers will share the news affecting their place in BC. I'm your host and producer, Pamela Hassan from CSEK News and Smithers. The Scoop was made possible by the Community Radio Fund of Canada and the Local Journalism Initiative Program, or LJI. Follow The Scoop on CICK Smithers Community Radio, 93.9 FM, every Thursday and Saturday at noon, online at smithersradio.com, and of course, wherever you get your podcasts. This past weekend, Meg Roberts, owner of Rustica Bakery, and others pulled together to bake up dozens of Mediterranean and Palestinian-style breads and treats this time to support the civilians in Palestine, especially those in Gaza. I'm sharing Dan Messick's story for CSEK News on that scoop. But first, Seifer in Prince George is celebrating a bittersweet anniversary. January 1st of 2024 marked 18 years of the radio show Celtic Fire and the end of the show's run. Let's listen to that scoop by Ian Gregg now. This is Ian Gregg reporting for CIFA Radio's Due North on 88.7 FM. This initiative is made possible by the Community Radio Fund of Canada through the Local Journalism Initiatives Program. Since the turn of the century, radio has served as an affordable and prolific means of communication. On a local level here in Prince George, CFUR Radio Society has broadcasted since 2001. Shortly thereafter in 2005, a young aspiring artist, Andrew McFadden, decided to get involved and bring Scottish Gaelic culture to the airwaves of our community. That was October of 2005. As of January 1st, 2024, that will have been 18 years and 19 seasons of his program Celtic Fire completed. It'll mark the start of a new chapter as Andrew moves his talents further into the ether and the whispers of Gaelic culture grow fainter on our airwaves. Andrew, over that span of time, have you seen the station change a lot or maybe not so much? Are we kind of a static organization or? Oh, no, things have changed a lot. Uh, I found that since moving up here into the student center through traffic or people just popping by in the evenings has tended to drop down a significant amount. When we first started or when I first started the show it was down there was it was I called it the closet it was a little no bigger than a closet really down off of the winter garden right across from the food area and it was tiny tiny like I'd say the width of the entire station was about would have been about as wide as this studio a here longer of course but uh, that was it was a pretty tiny studio comparatively and uh, we had a lot of through traffic so people would be walking by and they'd stick their noses in that kind of stuff uh, it doesn't tend to happen as much up here but the studio up here is definitely a lot nicer than what it was <laughs> that's for sure a lot more lot more storage space there I felt like I was being crowded out by CDs <laughs> yeah I don't have that feeling up here anymore Right. It's almost hard to believe that you don't feel so crowded in this space because we feel crowded here all the time, right? Mm-hmm. But to think that it was even smaller and more cramped. Yeah, there was hard, hardly room to sit down anywhere, really. Totally. Uh, in right. proximity to food and slab gray concrete, but 
not a whole lot else aside from the foot traffic, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and you were a student at the time? No. No. Okay. Tell us about this. How did you find Seifert? Why did you, what did you come up in the first place? Well, okay. I shouldn't have said a categorical no. <laughs> <laughs> I was a master's student through uh, Gonzaga University, uh, which is in Spokane, Washington State. And so at the time, I was in their satellite program, so they'd fly personnel up here to teach and then fly back. But at the time, the school district, because I'm, I'm a teacher with the district, uh, the, the teachers were on job action, so we weren't allowed to go in the schools, which is where Gonzaga was holding their classes. So they needed a place to rent facilities in order to continue their classes, because time deadlines on master's programs. So they found facilities here, and they rented, uh, I think it was a Komatsu room, if I remember correctly. So we ended up coming up here for a few weeks until the job action, everything was settled. And one day I was walking up right from the parking lot uh, through pa past security and, and going through and I looked over and I saw CFUR radio. I'm like, radio? I did radio as a child in a small town in Northern Ontario. We had a community organization much like this one and I did uh, radio when I was 10 for several years and uh, I developed a love for it at that point. Then I just had a break from it for many years, and then I just saw, out the corner of my eyes, saw CFUR radio. Hmm. Popped my head in, got a form, and the rest is history. So a friend of mine, and I, who is also a, a, a Gaelic singer, and a, a much better Gaelic singer than I ever will be, but from Cape Brand, her name is Mary Jane Lamb, and recording artist as well, she put out this album uh, called Storis, and on that album was a song, Gre Morun and Donawach. And I kept, I remember, as soon as I heard that song, before I even heard of CFUR, I remember thinking that would be a great theme song for a radio show. And then I walked by, saw the radio show, a radio station, and I, okay, two and two together, that's how it started. And so the theme song just kind of lasted for over a year, and then I started changing the theme songs every semester. And I, I want you to rewind possibly a little further. Yep. Gaelic music, Gaelic mm -hmm. culture. Where was that seed planted? When did that start for you? Well, my name, McFadden, is uh, the Gaelic is McFadden, which means son of Patrick, and it is a Gaelic name. It's not English. And or son of Patty, I guess. It was my great-grandfather that spoke it. I never knew him. He died 30 years before I was born. But that was always present in the family, that feeling, the, the Gaelic feeling. I wasn't, I wasn't raised speaking the language at all, uh, no knowledge of it whatsoever. But um, one day, I guess been back in 1999 or 2000, something like that, I was on the internet looking for places to learn Gaelic. I'd been talking to my grandmother, and I got a little interested in it. And I found a place in Cape Breton Island to learn Scottish Gaelic. And I thought, how cool would it be to learn my ancestral language in the New World, quote unquote, right, to use a colonial term in in my own country as opposed to having to go to Scotland right and so I went there and spent a week in Cape Breton fell in love with it and I went back every year for 10 summers learned the language and the songs and I'm I sing and everything down too and that's just kind of where it developed yeah. so Celtic fire itself mm -hmm. is an homage really to that time of exploration both of that language connecting to your own culture getting back to your roots I guess mentally bringing yourself back to that that place in Cape Breton where you, yeah, you got in touch with it. Yeah, it really has been, um, and hoping to get, as I say in my final episode, I won't give too much away, but 
hoping that people would either want to dabble in it or learn it themselves. But yeah, an homage of sorts, I guess. Uh, this whole past season is sort of tying everything together where every week there's a song by someone who has had an impact on me as a Gaelic learner, uh, and they had to have some kind of direct connection. Either I knew, I knew them personally uh, in some form or another. And so there's always been a, uh, at least one person every every week for this past season who's played that role. And also another purpose of the show, I guess, and this is something that I've come to believe over the past years, because when I first started the show, I'd only been learning Gaelic for less than 10 years, and I wasn't extremely fluent at that point. But I guess I, I've come to believe over the years is that our own belief as a people is the the presence of the ancestors. And it's giving giving a voice to people who don't have one anymore. And, and keeping the language going is giving that voice to the generations who are who no longer have that present voice. How much do you think the show has strayed or changed from that original intent, or do you think it's uh, it's followed the same track? Oh, it stayed the same in terms of its intent. Yeah, my intent was, and I don't remember the exact wording, but my intent was to present and to promote the Scottish Gaelic language and the music uh, with a particular focus on Canadian groups, uh, particularly Cape Breton and Nova Scotia, as well as Scotland, and with a smattering of the other Gaelic countries as well, uh, there are three Gaelic-related languages. Uh, they're th- different languages, but they're related to each other. So now and again, I'll play some Irish stuff. Now and again, I'll play some Manx stuff, but not so often because the focus has always been on Scottish. Why do you think it's important to bring this slice of Gaelic culture specifically here to Prince George? To Prince George specifically? Well, I wasn't really thinking in terms of the city specifically. It's just something that I wanted to bring to people. And if I could, as I alluded to a little bit earlier, if I could encourage just one person or 10 people to either dabble in it or learn it or, you know, just become interested in it in some way, then I will have uh, thought of myself as a success in that way. I didn't really see a need for anything in particular because at the time, to be honest, I hadn't been in Prince George that long, so I didn't really know the city very well. But uh, yeah, that's it's just something that I wanted people to hear. And I, I, I remember th- feeling at the time that there are a lot of people in the Scottish diaspora Right, millions of people around the world who have Scottish heritage in some form or another, millions of people around the world who have a Mac in their name and they have no idea what it even means. Right, uh, for millions of people who have a Mac in their name and don't know that it means son of. So what do you do if you're a daughter? Right, it's the language that's kind of there, but people have forgotten that connection. And so I, you know, I thought well. Even if I help a little bit in my little corner, that's great. Absolutely. And it it does. It signifies a lot in this part of the world where uh, roots are here. Like you said, we've got the College of New Caledonia. We've got old mining projects from back in the day. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were started in a place called New Caledonia, which we're now looking at as like Caribou District and Mm -hmm. the Peace Country Regional District. Lots and lots of activity, right? Roots of those people where we're 
from, 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 from. Mm -hmm. Ancestors and ancestors and ancestors. A lot of this is uh, kind of uh, acknowledging the past and what has happened, what has transpired. And I'm kind of curious what, what you're looking forward to in your next chapter. To be honest, I'm not really sure at this point. I mean, radio was always something that I've loved doing, and it's definitely something that I'm I'm open to doing again, and it's not something that I'll, I don't think I'll ever stop doing to, at some point or another, or in some form or another. But for now, I just, I felt that the show would run its course, time to move on a little bit to something else, and what that will be, who knows. You've been on a journey with Seifer, Gaelic culture, and Celtic fire itself, all together for the last 18 years, right? Um, how has that shaped you? You started as master's program and you evolved into a professional educator are uh, you looking at late career now do you think it's made you a better person or have we just embittered you <laughs> no de definitely not the latter that's for sure no no <laughs> well that's really yeah it, it all just, it all kind of goes together, really. I guess it's just, it comes down to the whole person, right? And everything's a, everything's a component. And this radio show has been a big part of my own life for, for a long time. And so in my own mind, I guess I've sort of thought of myself as synonymous with them. So it'll be a little interesting when I don't have to come up here anymore. But, uh, you know, like I say, I'm definitely not closed to work in this area or in this station even in the future for sure it's definitely expanded my reach and just just to play off the last question as well through my contacts on like twitter x formerly known as twitter you know you you make contacts and i tweet every time i I have a show and so you get people responding and I've made a lot of connections with people overseas and I've maintained connections with a lot of people overseas. Uh, I'll name drop here and there, but one's a very, a very highly respected former BBC broadcaster and extremely highly respected Gail and Gaelic singer herself and Mary Ann Kennedy is her name. I can tell Every time I play one of her songs, she'll retweet it or something like that. And uh, so it's just, it's given me that connection with my own Gaelic community, I guess. And I wouldn't have had that constant connection if it hadn't have been for this particular show and deciding to start tweeting like I did back in, I guess, what would have been 2010, I guess, is when I started using Twitter or something like that. And yeah, so I guess in that way, like I say, it all kind of, goes together right yeah. and i would never have started using twitter had it not been for this show and this show has helped me to maintain my connections around the world with lots of different people i feel like a lot of people use the internet to find their particular community in whatever <coughs> ways like a reddit a subreddit something like that and yeah. you kind of get narrowed in you, you find your community you started exploring gaelic culture and language many many years ago evolved into singing and performing uh, coupled on to radio broadcast with the language, with the performance history you've had, now broadcasting, uh, the internet comes along and you have a lot to offer that community now. You have something to bring into that community. You find it almost by happenstance on the internet itself and you grow your own community even broader. To now you have friends 
across the continent uh, in different areas of the world. Mm-hmm. And you also travel physically back and forth across the pond many times as well, right? Yeah, I haven't been back to, we say in, in Gaelic, we call it in Chowndhuli, the old country. We never call it Scotland. We call it the old country. <laughs> I haven't been back there for six years. It's been a while. But I'm overdue. Gotcha. <laughs> I'm actually overdue for a trip back to Cape Breton first. But, uh, you know, money and universe willing. <laughs> That's right. Well, Andrew, we wish you the best of luck in heading back to the old country many times. Just remember that you've got a place in our hearts here as well at the station, and you're part of our old country. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. We'll keep the embers of Celtic fire burning well into the future. (laughs) Alrighty. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you so much for your many years of service, Andrew. My pleasure. This is Ian Gregg reporting for CIFA Radio's Due North on 88.7 FM. And here's Dan Messick with two interviews from Rustica Bakery this past weekend as people gathered together to make bread for Palestine. Meg, Meg posted something. I have the words. They're in here. Okay. Um, she posted something on social media. My wife saw it and I said, oh, it's just... She gave me the words to write this poem. Okay. And so... Uh, the, the words in here come out of her quote from there, sort of. But And so then I sent it to her, and that's how we have connected now. So then I said, you know, I, I get what you're trying to do. you got all this anguish inside. Yeah. What can you do? Yeah. Right? So then I helped her with the baking yesterday. I said, you know, if I can help in any way, let me know. Nice. I'm Peter Rebergen. I'm from Smithers. I'm trying to make sense of what humanity is all about ever since I was... A young person. So yeah. I wandered all over the place, in and out of universities. Formal studies weren't doing it for me. But when you start meeting real people in real situations, then things start to... Yeah. Then, then it starts... Well, you start to make some sense. So my, my life experiences keep getting broader and broader to the point where I can actually go, it's okay. That's why this picture means so much to me. Yeah. What the heck is a Canadian dude coming out of a white Christian background doing with a Muslim... But he puts arm around me. That picture speaks volumes to me. Yeah, indeed. I still get emotional. So why did why did you feel the need to do this today? So you guys have baked a lot of bread, trying to raise money for farmers, and it sounds like you know what I've been hearing is kind of a scorched earth uh, approach, where they're salting. Uh, agriculture land they're raising you know fields to the ground um, and so this is all in in support of farmers in Palestine so how does you know why did you feel you needed to do this because I live in a very comfortable safe environment and these people don't and how do you make that connection that's makes English right it's what can I do I'm just a baker what can I do I'm just an old dude man it's like, okay, so these people are hungry. A little bit of money. She's got some baker connections in Lebanon and so forth. If we can help them when they're able to, maybe bread is bread. But bread is also a metaphor for me. It's bread of life. I mean, it's not just physical bread for physical needs. It's also... We're a starving people, too, if you understand what I mean. We, we don't get this. Yeah. We need to 
we need to embrace people who can help us feel humanity. And, and so it's more than just a little bit of money for a little bit of bread. It's about help me to connect to the heart of humanity. You know, that's what it's really all about. Otherwise, these wars will never cease. Never. If we don't start connecting. So put aside all those differences. And My brother. That's why... I chose these pictures because yeah. it's awesome. So, I mean, I traveled throughout. I went all over the place in my six months, but it was a real struggle for me because I felt too that the other side, so to speak, of just as our get out of here. I mean, they justify that with all kinds of religious things and so forth. But how these people can say it's Allah's will. And I'm going, no, man, what kind of a God is that? <laughs> but, but they're very accepting people. And, and it just blows me away. Like, we're always insisting on rights and everything like that. And these people are just... But, but they, under, they have something that we don't have. I mean, they, they got hell on earth right now. It's awful. But they have something that many of us don't have. And that is a sense of, well, you don't need the world's goods. You just need... And I say love, which is a, doesn't mean much today, but it's basically Some people you need to connect. Yeah. You know. yeah. Um, Peter, you know, this is just the next iteration of what has been going on in this conflict for centuries. You know, the last one was, you know, about 10, 15 years ago. 2003. 2003, right? And, and that was pretty brutal as well. But this has especially been brutal. So yes. wh- why now? Why, why do you feel like things have changed and we're seeing like clearly this outpouring of, of support? Yeah. We've seen these conflicts before, yeah. but, you know, I've never seen something like this before in support of, you know, this global support of, of Palestine. Yes and no. <laughs> there are some, South Africa, there are folks who have a bit of a heart connection and we try to say okay you know let's put the guns down and let's just try to live together but there are very sincere israelis too who have tried this you know not every not every palestinian muslim arab is a hamas type yeah i mean that that there's something about that response that i understand right yeah just like you pick up a stone and you throw it because they just killed your brothers, so you, but then you're going to get thrown in jail or shot because you threw a stone. And I'm thinking, yeah, but it's not about stone throwing. It's about you're not you're not getting it. Why why are you doing this to my family? You know, and I need your attention in a sense. So I throw a rock because I'm hurting, I'm frustrated, and I need. So if you burn tires and throw rocks, maybe someone from the media will tell the rest of the world that we have a problem here. But it's not because I hate you or I want to... It's just, can we find a way of connecting? Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, what Hamas did was horrendous. I mean, I'm not... That's horrible. But can we try to figure out what 70-something years of occupation... I've had Israeli guns pointing at me. I've been called in. It's not nice when you're... So what are you doing here? Yeah. You know, I've been at the checkpoints where I have to I'm going. All that does is just I feel for 
it just makes a connection for me, that's all. Peter, it looks like, you know, this situation isn't going to uh, be remedied anytime soon. Um, the, the, the numbers of Palestinians killed is continuing to mount in the over 20,000 now. But this looks like pretty amazing. Little old Smithers and, you know, there's, there's already, it looks like, 30 people have come through here. What's your hope for this, you know, event? And, and where, does the, where is the money going to go to support? It's all about baking. It's yeah. a baking connection. You know, and, and bread, bread is just very life-sustaining. So it's not just, like I said, the physical thing. It's also like, can we start connecting via bread? Yeah. I mean, it's a starting point, right? Yeah. And I don't know what your religious tradition is, but, you know, that was the opening line of this prayer. I mean, how often haven't we prayed that Lord's Prayer, give us day our daily bread? And I'm thinking, well, that's pretty selfish if you're just thinking about give me, 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 everything. But it means something else when, when bread starts to become... Can we sit down and break bread together? Yeah. Like, that's what this coffee shop experience is about. It isn't just quick grab something, throw some money on the table and get out the door. It's, can you take a moment and talk to these people, you know? Ask them why they're here <laughs> and make that connection via bread. Yeah. Bread brought us together, you know? And if we actually have them in and sit down and eat it like these folks are doing, now that's what it's all about. I don't know these people, but I'd like to get to know them. And that's the same here. That's what I'm... These folks said, sit down, Boutros. I'm thinking, yeah, I broke bread with these people. But because they're, they're Islamic people, the women can't have and be in the same room as the males, right? So I said to him, Matt, I said, well, I feel really uncomfortable because you invite me over. And I can have friends with your male friends, you know, a cup of tea on the floor here. But then your, your sisters and your, and your mom have to get out and they only got this one room. Where are they going to go? He came back the next day and said, we solved the problem. We're going to adopt you. So they adopted me, and my Arabic name is Butros, and that's why I can actually be with the family, okay, in their box. It's that's forty something years ago, and I was still very, very connected to that experience. I had a good chat with Meg yesterday as we were baking bread together. <laughs> And, uh, and Finn, my daughter, um, university student, you know, and, and I'm thinking, yeah, you're starting out where I was 45, 50 years ago, you know, you got some questions, you're trying to figure things out. Yeah. Sitting in a classroom, studying books doesn't do it. 99% of that just didn't work for me. It's not until you sit down with people. So as a teacher, it's always like, it's the real life hands-on experiences, man, that are gonna count. Come with me, let's go. Whether you're in the outdoors, outdoor ed teacher too, eh? You gotta get out there, man. You can't just look at pictures. You got you gotta sit down with people. You gotta feel it. Yeah, you gotta feel it. You gotta feel it. Yeah. You no, know, I'll never forget. That's how we slept night. Because there was no room in the box for all of us. So we, we slept on the outside and they had two chickens as their prized possession. Two chickens. These kids just they love their chickens. <laughs> they had sleep in the there's no roof here, just outside on a mats. And, and I mean, and when I was there, the, there were some Zionists tried to assassinate the mayors in the West Bank, a bunch of the mayors, put car bombs in their, in their cars. And this is Nablus, where this camp is, camp number one. And I was in the camp with these people, sleeping here with Ahmad, and in the night, soldiers came into the camp and Imad grabs a corn broom that was in the corner there 
runs to the little door and says, if they come in here, they're not getting my brothers. I'm not going to let them get my brothers. And those are his brothers, eh? Some of these pictures. And I'm going, dude, you got a corn broom. They got machine guns. And I'm in here too. But the thing is, they blew up the car of the mayor of Nablus. He lost his legs, but he lived. The Palestinians will call them refugees. They throw a few stones. The Israelis don't like that, right, the soldiers. So what they typically do, and Matt explained to me, they just come into the camps and they grab any young kid they can see, boys, throw them in jail. Read about it in the news. It happens all the time, you know, today. They don't, and then they, they don't even get charged with any. It's just, we just need to intimidate. We need to tell you, if you throw a stone, we're going to come to the camps, grab some of your boys, right? And Matt's brother still in, was still in jail when I was there. Same thing. Just, yeah, you're not allowed to... Freedom of speech? Yeah. <laughs> you can't express anything. But you can shoot the mayor. To, you can kill all the people there. That's all right. But don't, don't talk about it. And it was at that point, I got hauled in the next day. What the heck are you doing in here? You know, you shouldn't be in the camp. You saw me. <laughs> it's not a nice experience. To, you know, so. Yeah, I haven't touched that stuff in years. And all of a sudden, here it is. It's yeah. very real again. That was Peter Rebergen speaking about his time spent in Gaza, Palestine, in 1980. Coming up next, my conversation with Meg Roberts of the Rustica Bakery. My name is Meg Roberts. And Meg, you guys are selling a bunch of uh, lovely breads. Middle Eastern Palestinian style breads here today at Stellar J's. Tell me what's going on. So we're just doing a fundraiser for raising funds for civilians in Palestine or Gaza in particular. Um, I have a connection to a bakery and mill in Jordan that is run by two Jordanians and a Palestinian man from Gaza. And so we're going to be sending funds. All 100% of our take is going to that particular bakery that once um, money or food can get into Gaza, they will directly take whatever into Gaza. Or if it's a refugee situation, they will feed any refugees in their area that come out to Jordan. Yeah. Uh, You know, we're a world away from this, but clearly, you know, in speaking with Peter earlier, um, this is touching a lot of people. And, you know, at a time like this, you you know, most people struggle, like, what can they do? Um, you've done something here. How did this come about? Well, I think I think I, I, I it's it's about civilians, and I'm very anti-war. So anywhere in the world where there are civilians being greatly affected, and in this particular conflict, I feel the civilians of Palestine are being incredibly impacted. So um, yeah, I think bakers around the world like to help each other, and so knowing that in the Fertile Crescent which is in Gaza, there is no bakery running. It is a call to bakers around the world to muster up, make bread, break bread. Bread is essential to life of any food. So I think particularly for bakers, when they see other bakeries not working, they, yeah, it's a real heart wrench. Um, Previously, we've spoken about this before, you know, one of these Alan Scott stone ovens usually the the theory is about 300 people it can serve 300 people you know in our town we should have like five or ten of these but in palestine and gaza 
there's over two million people in a very tight spot. Um, so there should be thousands of these bakeries. Now that it's been going on for you know over two months, um, the war, we've seen massive destruction. There clearly isn't a whole lot of foods, provisions coming in. Um, how did this connection with the Jordanians come to be? And how is this going to play out? Like once once they are able to get in there, like how does this work? How does how does the money get to these Jordanian bakers and how does it get to people on the ground? Okay, so I have a connection, beautiful connection with another baker in Beirut that we've helped raise money for who had a social enterprise bakery for Syrian refugees. This is this is previously. This is previously. So when this came when the conflict happened, I contacted my friend in Beirut. And he was able to guide me. He's friends with, he's a baker and a miller, and he is connected to the, this other bakery in Jordan. So he put me onto them. We have a three-way discussion, but the bakery in Beirut is hopefully going to do a fundraiser too. They have far less funds uh, available. So between the three of us, we will raise money. So the at the Jordanian bakery, one of the bakers there is a Palestinian. His family is in Gaza, and he's a food activist. So he is weaving his way, trying to find threads of getting to directly to people. Now, you can certainly donate money to other entities. I think as a baker, I want my money directly to go to a bakery. Because given Middle Eastern food is so much based around bread and the breaking of bread, it's very, very important. So, I mean, right now in Gaza, people are so incredibly desperate but creative around food and around baking. They are making makeshift ovens to bake pita bread or taboon, any sort of different kinds of breads that they can possibly make. So, yeah, I think if we, as long as we give this money to a bakery specifically that is connected to Palestine, then it will get there. We are going to withhold the funds until um, either the borders open up, as, as my friend in Beirut had mentioned, there is no money and no food getting into Gaza right now. So we will be holding this money until the Jordanian bakery says we're good to go and then we will transfer it across to them. So, and yeah, we're doing 100% of, I don't want to make any money off this, this is not, this is about giving and feeding. Um, maybe tell me quickly, you have some very lovely uh, loaves and all kinds of yummy eateries here. Tell me kind of what you made and what influenced this, like where did you come up with, with this kind of menu? Oh, well we're actually based it out of one particular book, well three different books, but one particular book um, which is a, a Palestinian cookbook and so it was fabulous and the amazing part was the book is Palestine and it is a beautiful beautiful cookbook but I could get all the ingredients apart from two different herb spices in Smithers. It took a little bit of shopping but we have some beautiful food here. So very much traditional Palestinian food. We used a couple of other cookbooks, one from Morocco and one from Turkey and all the food was based traditionally out of the Middle East. Um, so it was a really lovely adventure for me. I love food. I love how food is culturally significant, the spices, the techniques. So it was a really beautiful thing for me as a baker to experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, just the last thing for you, Meg. You know, this has been over two months now that we've seen this uh, ongoing. There's over 20,000 civilians that have been killed. Uh, about 50% of those are children. Uh, and it doesn't look like this is going to stop anytime soon. Um, there are obviously efforts ongoing, but um, from your end of things and providing this sort of support, because it, 
It's been a bustling morning here. It's only been a couple hours. Um, where do you go from here with your support and knowing that there's people like, like Peter in town who do have like a personal connection to this? So where do we go from here? Well, I think I think we uh, we be vocal. I think the thing about any kind of war, and particularly this one, um, don't be shy. Speak speak out. I think we will only get a ceasefire. I I personally think there needs to be a person a permanent ceasefire for all both sides and for all civilians to be free. Um, so I think we we get vocal, we get loud. You write to your politician. You also donate to wherever you can donate. Um, there, I mean, I can provide a list of different entities um, that people can donate to that the money will get there, bigger entities. But as I say right now, not much is getting in. So I think I think we start the conversation. We break bread together. I think we actually break bread and talk about it and and express our feelings. I think this particular conflict has been very difficult for people to talk about. For me, it's not about sides, it's about no war. I'm, I don't want war, I don't want children to be harmed. Mothers, I don't want fathers. So I think it's about humanity. Um, really, the basis of humanity is to care for each other and to make sure we're all fed, we're all housed, we're all safe. And that's really what I'm interested in. So I think people talk about it. Don't be afraid to talk about it. Take the fear part out. It's not about science, it's about humanity, for me, from my perspective. I have no religious background, so I feel I'm not take, coming at it from either side. It's about humanity and about civilians, the innocent who are in the crossfire. And that's today's scoop. Yes, it only featured two of our six stations. However, our other four, I believe, are getting some slightly longer holiday time. So congratulations to them. Make sure to tune in next week for a regular, definitely not holiday time edition of The Scoop.